0: I'm Alka Kurian, and host of the new podcast, South Asian Films and Books. I'm also a faculty at the University of Washington, Bothell, teaching film, literature, gender, and human rights. In this first season of South Asian Films and Books, I'm going to look at how South Asian writers and filmmakers explore some of the major issues and help us make sense of the world that we inhabit. From politics to culture, each episode looks at a topic that impacts and shapes the lives of people living in South Asia and its diasporas. This is South Asian Films and Books, an original podcast, broadcast from Seattle. Subscribe to New South Asian Films and Books as soon as possible so you don't miss a single episode. My guest today is Japleen Pasricha. Known for smashing the patriarchy for a living, she's the founder and editor-in-chief of Feminism in India, an award-winning digital intersectional feminist media platform. Pasricha is also a TEDx speaker and a UN World Summit Young Innovator. She joins me from Delhi. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi Alka, thank you so much for having me here.
0: It's a pleasure and I'm absolutely delighted to talk to you. Since your work is on online digital platform, online feminism, let's begin by talking about the future of online feminism in India. Generally speaking, do you think there is digital democracy or digital inequity? Is it an urban middle class phenomenon or does it cross class and geographic boundaries? What do you
1: think? So, uh, when I started FII back in 2013 uh, 14, at that time the online space was uh, mostly filled with young people, especially young women uh, writing uh, blogs or creating Facebook and Instagram pages. And uh, it was not occupied by, uh, say, what you would call real activists or uh, NGOs, but Uh, Six years, seven years down the line, the concept of online feminism is actually very much also joined by offline feminism. So uh, what I have seen now in the past uh, six, seven years is that this concept of online feminism is not just occupied by uh, young feminists, but you also see people and activists and NGOs who work on the ground coming online because everybody is realizing the importance and the impact of uh, bringing their work online. And the other thing that uh, especially I have observed is that online activism break barriers of class and caste, linguistic barriers, as well as you would now have information or be aware of groundwork happening in in a small town or village. So um, now we see uh, people from smaller towns and cities uh, using digital storytelling techniques like uh, TikTok, for example, is extremely popular, especially in uh, semi-urban and rural areas. Uh, Instagram is also quite popular. And people are coming online and using these platforms uh, to talk about the issues that they feel or care about. So I feel like the this concept of online feminism is not just restricted to young urban audience, but everyone has jumped on that bandwagon, including activists like Kamla Haseen to young people as young as 15 and maybe in a semi-urban or rural area. So how do you think it's happened? Why online? I think that's where uh, the world is going. And also people understand and realize the impact that, you know, when you bring your work online, that the kind of impact that it has. And we have seen that you get a wider reach as well as it's kind of an organic marketing for your work where you are, not technically investing in let's say a marketing agency or a a person who is taking care of your marketing but it gives you a lot of visibility which then turns into a lot of things for example you may get donations via crowdfunding platforms or some influencer may share your work or uh, you may have people reach out and say i want to volunteer with you because i like the work that you are doing and this just connects people uh, more efficiently. Do you also think that online feminism is safer for women? No, I don't. And actually, since the past few days, I have been undergoing a troll attack uh, on, on my personal account as well as FIS pages. So I don't think there is any actually difference in online feminism as opposed to groundwork because the internet is a reflection of the society that we live in. And the same people who uh, think women uh, are not worth it or they cannot do this or that women should sit at home are the same people who are online and saying the same things on the internet. And actually uh, people are more vile on the internet than they would be in their personal uh, lives or when you meet, see them or meet them in person. There is a lot of online violence that happens using you know, social media platforms, a lot of abuse and hate speech that goes around and especially in a country like ours where the environment is extremely politically charged, a lot of this abuse is based on uh, religion and caste lines. Can you give me examples of some of the online uh, feminist movements that have happened in India? i'll start with the movement that i was part of that's called the i will go out movement It sparked because of the mass molestation that happened in bengaluru on new years eve december 2016 fortunately or unfortunately it coincided with the global women's march that happened in the us and you know other countries in jan 2017 so a group of young women came together to do something about the mass molestation that happened on the streets of Bangalore and all of us who were part of this group we did not know each other we just kind of came together that one person started the conversation and then they rolled in another one etc and then within 10 to 15 days we organized a multi-city march which is called the I will go out movement uh, because it is talking about reclaiming uh, streets For me this is a special example because we all came together, we had no funding, no NGO support and we mobilized online and then the action was on ground. So all of us who came together were from different cities and we all organized uh, marches in our cities using online tools. That is a great example of how online mobilization can help and actually amplify on-ground
0: work. Right, so it combines online and offline activism. And I wanted to quickly um, also talk to you about the ways in which we are living in truly unprecedented times these days, with the world reeling under the horrific spread of coronavirus. And so with the lockdowns and social distancing, most of the social movements have gone underground, including in places like Hong Kong. So do you think online movements have a special space here during this lockdown?
1: As you said, even in India, a lot of on-ground movements had to shift either online or temporarily close off uh, their protests. So, for example, the Shaheen Bagh protest, when the lockdown wasn't announced, uh, before that, they were practicing social distancing at the sit-in area, where only they had reduced the number of protesters to five. Only five women were sitting there. They were also very clear that they will uh, comply with the law and any kind of guidelines. And once the lockdown was organized, the Scheinbarg uh, protest was you know, temporarily called off. And uh, we do see that because of uh, COVID and social distancing, on-ground movements uh, have been affected quite largely. However, I don't think that the movements... I out because as I said today, all movements have an on-ground and online like a sister channel. Even if the Shine protest right now doesn't exist, there is uh, still an online uh, movement going on. And many movements uh, and NGOs I've observed have actually shifted their energies to COVID relief work. And uh, secondly, there has been a rise in domestic violence cases in India as well as globally. Many activists and NGOs are working towards that cause where they are constantly pushing out helpline numbers. Even the NCW, for example, has set up a WhatsApp hotline number where if women can't come in person and register their complaint or can't post their complaint, they can send the complaint via WhatsApp which is a widely used app in India and uh, most of the women have access to WhatsApp. So even if it doesn't cover uh, all women, it it does cover a large number of women. So I think many movements today, uh, many organizations today are innovating with technology in times like these. Uh, I see organizations doing Facebook live frequently or using Zoom webinars and sessions all of these organizations used to do on-ground workshops but now they are adapting themselves to technology even we as an organization are conducting zoom sessions uh, where we used to do workshops i do think that when the necessity is people adapt themselves and uh, online movements are gaining traction so as we know that this pandemic has already
0: exposed the already existing social inequities. The lockdown, as we all know, has particularly impacted the lives of the poor, the urban migrants, the informal workers, farmers, etc., who face definite destitution and potential death. But the pandemic has particularly impacted the lives of women can you talk a little bit about it
1: uh, as i previously mentioned there has been a rise of uh, domestic violence cases uh, in india and there's also a global rise uh, secondly women are now even more burdened with household chores because uh, everybody is at home uh, especially women who uh, have children uh, and who uh, live with large families uh, also a lot of queer people who now have to live with their, stay with their uh, toxic families or families who do not accept them, uh, they are also facing emotional and mental uh, abuse by their families and uh, that is a very huge concern because uh, as we know for most uh, queer uh, young people, families are actually the first place of violence. Uh, Also sex workers are being uh, deeply impacted by this uh, pandemic because their profession literally requires them to be in touch with their customers physically when uh, the need of the hour is social distancing and sex workers already face a lot of violence. Uh, not just by the customers but also by the state and in uh, this scenario they uh, have not received any kind of help or uh, guidance by the state uh, also, migrant workers and especially the female migrant workers are walking hundreds of kilometers back to their home because the government has failed to provide safe transportation and also food for their uh, families uh, in urban cities where they work as uh, daily wage laborers.
0: Right, and also, can you talk a little bit about abortion?
1: You know, there is a amendment. There's an amendment that's coming to the MTP bill and which would be passed. Uh, in the next parliament session mm-hmm. and uh, this amendment uh, although uh, extends the uh, the limit I think it extends it from 20 to 24 weeks however the problem is that it only identifies women who are at certain risks and most abortion activists are uh, talking about how we need to stop putting conditions and clauses uh, when it comes to letting women have abortion you said that you're facing a lot of online trolling so talk a little bit about the kind of
0: challenges you feel that sort of relate to the general sense of media censorship and the future of independent online journalism
1: so recently we have been under a major troll attack and and you know the, this kind of troll attack keeps cropping up after every few months so it's not the first time and i'm sure it's not the last time the problem is that or i would say The reason why we are, uh, you know, under a troll attack is because we are very vocal as a platform when it comes to religious and political issues. And we openly criticize the ruling government or, you know, policies uh, amended uh, by the government. And we all know how this government uses religion as a tactic to provoke people So a lot of our articles criticize uh, government policies, uh, laws, and their actions. And uh, some uh, right-wing trolls have uh, made a meme about us which shows that we are uh, an anti-Hindu and pro-Islam propaganda website which is uh, completely untrue because we are a website which crowdsources uh, articles. So everybody who writes on our website uh, is entitled to their own opinions. And then four years back, we announced an editorial policy where because we talk about intersectional feminism and we wanted that uh, not just in theory, but it also reflects the way that our articles are written and published. It reflects in our writers community and also in our organization. So we have a strict policy of non-appropriation that gives preferences to uh, lived experiences and first-person stories, See, which means that most of the articles that have been written about, uh, which are criticizing the Hindu religion are written by women who self-identify. Uh, they are from that religion. And we have a lot of articles on our website which talk about the hijab and from both sides. So we have some Muslim women talking about how they find the hijab uh, empowering as well as we have some Muslim women talking about how they find the hijab problematic. However, these right-wing trolls who have been attacking our website since a couple of years, they have very conveniently chosen the articles which criticize the Hindu religion and articles which talk about how hijab is a tool of empowerment for some Muslim women and compared them in a meme format and uh, made that viral. We released a statement last year where we clarified and justified what our platform is that we don't subscribe to one political party or one religion. In this statement, we also talked about how we have articles which criticize Islam or we have articles which talk about the Bhakti movement uh, in Hinduism. But that is something that uh, either they, the trolls do not care to read or, you know, it's just because they have an agenda, they have to troll us. They are a much bigger and stronger group than us. They have a lot of followers and they use all the platforms from Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, WhatsApp uh, and troll us. They vandalize our page. So it has been quite disturbing since the past few days to just go through the comment section and read all kinds of abusive comments. I have received personal comments like, I will take legal action against you, or you should be ashamed of yourself, or you should go and die somewhere, uh, or give me the address of your home, I will come and teach you a lesson. These are some of the comments that I have received you know, on my personal account. Many of our team members are feeling scared because of such comments and uh, we have removed our office address from our website me and my team we are making sure that our personal data is safe so that nobody actually turns up in front of our house and people that run other online platforms i'm sure
0: they have similar experiences and i wonder whether you share your anxieties with them and whether you have
1: discussions with them Yeah, a lot of people have had similar experiences and I uh, have some kind of support system and which is uh, online so I am part of a couple of groups where I share my concerns and uh, people send positive messages and vibes and on twitter also I actually publicly argued with a troll and tried to make her understand that this is not what we are doing but uh, it did not go well. But uh, what encouraged me was that a lot of people on Twitter, because this was happening publicly, uh, other people also saw it and a lot of people then sent uh, public messages of solidarity. So uh, there are a lot of people who have written how they support our organization and, and they believe in the work that we do. So I think uh, these kind of messages are uh, very helpful because online violence has a detrimental effect on uh, a person's mental health, Uh, but when people send uh, such solidarity messages and that too when these messages are public and other people can see it and some of them could actually be the trolls uh, who are reading these messages, it's a really boost to your own energy because you know that you are not alone and what you are doing does actually have an impact.
0: So you're not going to close down feminism in India. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it's an incredible journal. And so talk a little bit about the history, how you came to start something like that.
1: So um, I started this while I was still a student. Uh, I was in JNU. I studied German language and literature as part of my academic education and I was before you know I switched my career I was actually a lecturer but I wasn't entirely satisfied with my professional journey and I always had uh, this interest in gender and gender studies. I was reading a book at that time which is called Feminism in India. It's a anthology edited by Maitri Chaudhary. Uh, so that's the inspiration behind the name of the organization today. I just randomly created a page called feminism in india just it was a very impulsive random decision i was i think frustrated with like just general sexism and discrimination around myself i was like let's create a page called feminism in india and that's about it actually for me it was something uh, like a community blog or a resource for indian feminists by indian feminists because most of the content uh, when I read before I started this platform was either uh, academic content behind a paywall or academic text which I found were not accessible in that I was looking for something which everybody can consume and also the format which people are already uh, using and already enjoy So. My idea was to turn this kind of large pieces of information and jargon language texts into accessible formats like videos, blogs, infographics, posters. So the idea was very much to make feminism cool, if you can say that, um, and for to target people where they already are. Then social media came naturally because today everybody and not just the youth, even my parents are hooked to their WhatsApp all the time. And that was our idea that we use these channels of distribution and this kind of multimedia content format to talk about issues uh, and the women's history and the women's movement, which I feel is extremely important for each and every person to know, especially each and every woman in India to know how they got the rights that they enjoy today uh, and the history of how the laws came to being. So we know there is a very rich history behind the rape law, the domestic violence law in India. And I'm not sure if people actually are aware about the Mathura gang rape case, for example, and how that was a turning point for the rape law in India or about Bhavri Devi's uh, gang rape case and how that became a turning point for the Vishakha guidelines and then the sexual harassment at the workplace law. So I feel these are very important milestones in Indian women's history, Indian women's movement, and they must be known.
0: So tell me one thing. So you started off as something that you did on the side, and now it's becoming a profession. Yeah. How does your organization survive financially? Because it's a free
1: platform. Yeah, so uh, we have uh, funding from women's organizations and also from uh, an organization in India called IPSMF, which funds a digital media platforms. And we also organize uh, workshops and uh, some campaigns for which we charge a fee. So we have both models, which is funding as well as some kind of income generation. A very quick look at the structure of the website leads you to believe that
0: it's very well organized you have a lot, must have a lot of people working on it you cover everything you cover culture history society you have as you said it's like a multi genre multimedia platform you have videos and podcasts and insight into history of various campaigns and all so how did it grow organically how did the structure evolve
1: i think for us as an organization we believe in a lot of community engagement Uh, We have always kept ourselves open for feedback and uh, we constantly ask people to send us suggestions on what they would like to see. The history uh, section was actually a suggestion by one of the readers where they said that we would like to know about the women's history uh, movement in India. The mental health section was also another suggestion initiated by a reader. Apart from that, I also wanted to break that myth that women's issues are only about, let's say, violence, health, child marriage, or domestic violence, or sexual violence, but not the economy of the country, or the budget, or uh, the policies that are being implemented by the government. When people tell us, oh, why are you talking about protests and politics, that's not feminism, we retort by saying that everything is feminism, the personal is political, and... You cannot restrict women's issues into one category where you're only talking about the traditionally seen issues. Everything is a woman's issue because everything in this world, women are affected by it. So we wanted the platform to talk about daily news and culture from a feminist lens. And that's how I think we are able to broaden our, our categories and sections.
0: That's pretty impressive. In a space of seven years, you were able to start from scratch and you've brought it to this particular location. It's absolutely amazing. So talk to me a little bit about uh, the significance of the internet. In today's world, one can hardly overstate the significance of the internet. It's changed a resource-based economy to a knowledge-based economy. It's created social, cultural, and economic opportunities for people globally. It's eradicated class, cultural, gender, other kind of barriers
1: given a voice to women.
0: But do you think it's a necessary change for good? Or are there any fallouts?
1: One thing that the internet has done, it has broken down power hierarchies. I slowly created a community, people used to uh, respond, like, share, comment, eagerly wait for the next blog to turn up. So I think that kind of model, which, where you don't have to be dependent on any kind of external forces. And I'm, having said that, I'm very conscious of the fact that Facebook is an external force. And I will talk about social media corporations later. But not being dependent on mainstream media or legacy media to help or to even build this kind of a media startup, I think that is what the Internet has broken down. And secondly, the way that Twitter works, I've seen so many young people, so many young voices who have received recognition because they talk about issues and they talk about their lived experiences. And many of these young people and young voices are from marginalized identities. So they are, for example, Dalit women activists or Muslim women activists or queer activists and the Internet has given them that space. And when they talk about these things, people actually listen because the same platform is given to everybody. There are a lot of flaws obviously, Uh, we know that women and especially activists are trolled on a daily basis and we also know that platforms themselves are complicit in a lot of human rights violations and uh, issues. But I think the power of the internet and especially of social media tools in helping uh, young people who do not have resources, it's a disruptive change like it's disrupting how and in my case in my sector we are a media organization so it's also disrupting how media work because the legacy media can't just you know be like oh we don't care they are too small for us uh young people who are leading the way and who are creating this kind of media they are being heard by other people
0: okay so let's talk um about FII. You uh, very interestingly include a couple of expressions. We've briefly talked about intersectionality, but I'll come back to it. But I wanted to ask you about the expression Desi style. So feminism (laughs) in India, Desi style, which is in the title of your magazine. Why is that the case? And from what Desi lens are you looking at feminist issues in India?
1: When I uh, conceptualized this platform, I was very sure that I wanted to be a platform which is about uh, Indian issues because that was the space that I did not see. So I did not want it to become a global platform because I felt it would add on to other global platforms, first of all, and then it would not have a niche. So I think that is really important for us that and India is a huge country so even covering India is already a task <laughs> I think that was the first thing and we used the word Desi because Desi is a word which is used across nations so it's also used in Pakistan for example and something that is used by both Indians living in India and Indians living abroad uh, or second generation Indians but also we wanted to make it sound cool
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is a cool word <laughs> Yeah. So as I was mentioning earlier, the use of the word intersectionality that Crenshaw refers to as, in her words, as a metaphor for understanding the ways in which multiple forms of inequalities and disabilities sometimes intersect and compound themselves and create obstacles that are often invisible to a lot of us. So talk about the centrality of this concept in FII.
1: I actually don't remember when I got to know about this theory. Like I don't remember a particular moment. The same way I don't know when I realized that I was a feminist. When I read it, it kind of made sense to me. It's like, yeah, that's how it's supposed to be. Like, how is this a new theory? Shouldn't it be like this already? You know, I think that was the thought in my mind. When in the initial stages of the platform, we also saw the issues of non upper caste, upper-class women weren't talked about as much. And even I feel the women's movement in general and the women's NGO sector has not delved into these issues and especially the issues of caste because I think that is the most taboo topic in India even now. When it comes to minority issues, so issues of caste, class, religion, gender, sexuality, etc. And uh, then I and my team realized that we need to make this theory popular and normal. So then we started talking about intersectionality. We made that the tagline of our organization and uh, we also came up with this policy. So from then to now, there has been a lot of work done by various organizations and individuals, especially Dalit rights activists, uh, queer women, Dalit women Muslims, who have raised their voice and who have said that, hey, I am also here and you cannot ignore me anymore, that have built up these conversations of of intersectionality, not not everyone maybe would be using the term, but I think especially in the online space, I see that there are more talks about caste, about class, about uh, religion, about gender, sexuality, and that has been because of people, especially from the communities, putting their voices up there and uh, making themselves visible.
0: I'd like to know how you define intersectionality.
1: I don't think there is a simple definition, but uh, if I have to simplify and uh, tell you in two words, I would say I understand intersectionality and feminism by social justice. That's my keyword For me, unless and until we are talking about everyone, and like by everyone I mean everyone, I don't think we can say that we have achieved equal rights or that we are intersectional because there is always some people on the margins who are left out from the conversation.
0: Absolutely. Like, for example, you cover an analysis of four more shots, please, as well as you cover the analysis of the ways in which COVID is impacting women living on the margins of the society. So like for everyone. Yeah. Do you have any words of advice for people that want to work for you, that want to volunteer for you, that want to do internships for you, that want to simply write for you?
1: Yes, we offer internships and our, our internships are actually also can be done virtually. So we offer online internships. So please do check out our page for internships. If you're a writer and if you like want to write about feminist issues, you can also check out our info page about becoming a writer on our website. And if there's anything else that you can contribute with respect to memes or infographics or posters uh, just send us an email at info at and we'll take it forward from there
0: wonderful thank you very much it was lovely to talk to you
1: thank you alka it was really great and i am looking forward to the podcast yeah thank you so much